Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. This morning, we continue uh, our series, Rediscovering Church, that we've been working uh, through uh, the summer in. Uh, we've been looking uh, to the pages of Scripture to uh, learn more, to deepen our experience about who we are in Christ and how we fit into God's plan for His people, the church. Uh, we just a, a few weeks left in the summer uh, series before we turn our attention to the fall. And I would just like to express this morning a special word of thanks to Spencer Nickel, who uh, shared God's Word with you this past weekend. I heard uh, great things, and so I'm grateful uh, to Spencer. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And this is the story of the human race. Uh, what began in the garden when Adam and Eve uh, decided they knew better than God. They, they wanted something other than what God had provided for them, and so they turned away. Uh, that same refrain is echoed at the Tower of Babel when man looks to himself to become something great, something more uh, than uh, what God had intended. Uh, we see it again when God constitutes a people uh, and Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the law of God. Uh, Meanwhile, the people are below, uh, not satisfied or content with who God is and that He's revealed Himself to them. Uh, They fashion a a statue to worship, a Baal. When the people of Israel uh, look to the other nations, they decide that they want to be like the other nations. They don't want to uh, serve under the theocracy of of God's uh, rulership. They, They want a king like all the other peoples, and so they choose a king in Saul who's head and shoulders above the rest. This is the story of humanity. A good summary of our history is in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, that says, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. C.S. Lewis wrote that human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which with to make him happy. But the Bible is the story of how God sent his son, his king, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things upon earth. John continues in chapter 1 by saying, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
The Bible knows of a God who has a heart for the world. David understood this in Psalm 18 where he writes, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name great salvation he brings to his king, and show steadfast love uh, to his anointed. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, Mark writes in chapter 13 uh, of this same purpose, that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. This is the purpose of of Christ coming into the world. And so as he stands uh, at the moment where he ascends back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, he issues the commission to his disciples and then to every other follower through the ages. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always in this mission, even to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, which explains how the gospel came to us, a church on mission to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nation. The vision of Scripture for the church's mission is that we would be disciples who are making disciples and churches that are planting churches. The church uh, carrying the gospel is the hope of the world. This past week, uh, this team uh, from Community Church uh, in Gunnison had the chance to answer God's call to carry Christ to the nations. Uh, We turned uh, from the outset uh, the the name Cuba into an acronym. We said it was Christ, C, plus you, uh, believing for amazing things. And that's exactly the prayer that God answered. Christ was with us. We saw him. Uh, in tangible ways, and he did amazing things among us. And in this passage, which has been on my heart all through the course of the week, I had the opportunity, the humble opportunity, to preach numerous times. The only thing I know for certain as I stand before you this morning is that this message won't leave me drenched in sweat. I could wring sweat out of my clothes all week. I hope that won't happen this morning. But in this passage, which Uh, was on my heart through the course of the week speaks so clearly to not only what we saw in Cuba, but what we need to see in America. The setting is Peter and John going uh, to the temple. Even after they've come to know Christ, they understand uh, the call of the mission, which is to take the gospel to Jerusalem. And so they continue to go to the temple. And so they meet at the temple at the hour of prayer. And as they're entering the temple, they encounter this lame man. And I just want to make three observations from this story. Number one, we see the plight of a person in a world that worships prosperity. There was a man who was there lame from birth. He had always been this way. He was always broken. It's not dissimilar from how you and I are born into this world. Broken. And the most that anyone could do for him is to carry him uh, to, of all places, a place called Beautiful. The Beautiful Gate that that looked directly into uh, the Temple Mount. And they would lay him there, and there he would beg uh, for help, alms, just something to sustain him. He wasn't uh, courageous enough to ask for something more when he desperately needed something more. So they carried him to the beautiful gate, and he asked for alms. And as he's seated there, he sees Peter and John about to go into the temple. And as is his custom, he asked them if they have something to give him. Our world offers nothing to touch a person's deepest need. We don't know how old he was, don't know how long he'd been there, but no one had been able to speak to. I mean, this is the seat of of the Jewish religion. 
This is the place where God has chosen to abide and to reveal himself to the nations. Yet no one could do anything to touch this man's deepest need. The most he could do was beg for a handout. Cuba's history, which started in 1902, is a history characterized by dependence on outside power. In 1492, uh, Columbus landed on the island, and shortly thereafter, the Spaniards discovered the fertile plains of Cuba were a great place to plant sugarcane. We saw one of those valleys, didn't we? And not too long after that, they, they discovered that the mountains above the valley were a great place to plant coffee beans. Café? Café. We, we know a little Spanish. We drink a lot of café. In 1902... Um, the government of Cuba established its own independence. But it's a history of incremental economic development coupled with corruption. In 1953 through 1959, the revolution happened. Uh, the revolution of, of something better coming. And during this time, uh, because the U.S. had pulled out, the Cubans aligned themselves with communist Russia. And so they became a communist nation. In 1991, with the dissolution of the USSR, there was no more money coming from the Russians to support the Cubans, and it plunged them into economic crisis. And it's been three years since anyone from the West uh, significantly has come to minister to the church in Cuba. By contrast, the United States is a land of affluence. We are free. There's not a one of us that got up this morning wondering if we could get on a plane and go somewhere. Not a one of us that probably doesn't hold a passport or at least could get one to go where we wish. We live in the land of opportunity. And yet, for all of our opportunity, I don't believe that our faith is quite as precious and resilient and clear as that of the Cuban people. Like the man in our story, it's not hard for the Cuban people to recognize in Jesus the hope they desperately need, not to change their circumstances not to elevate their cost of their, their standard of living, but, but to be made whole, uh, what this man needed. The second thought is that we see the only prescription for our hopeless prognosis is the help of a personal and powerful Savior. Every one of us is born into a world marked by sin, and we have a destination called death. There's nothing we can do. No money in the world will buy you away from that end. That end was facing this man too. But in the meantime... He was begging just to get by. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. This is the invitation of the salty Christ follower. This is the invitation of the church that wants to be the light to say, look at us, world. We don't have silver or gold. We're not trying to fix all of your earthly problems. That's one of the things we immediately discovered. We had a lot of pesos because the American dollar translates into about 220 pesos. When they brought back our, our currency transfer... We were staggered at the amount of, of what looked like wealth in, uh, in pesos. But all the pesos we were carrying, all the American dollars we have, the truth is a lifetime of our provision can't change their existence. But we had something they needed more. They already have it, and that is Jesus Christ. Peter said to the lame man, we don't have monetary wealth, but what we have we give you. They said that with conviction. It wasn't sheepish. It wasn't like, gosh, I really wish we could spot you a meal. I wish we could, you know, give you a tank of gas. I wish we could give you a leg up in life. No, with conviction they said, we don't have the thing you want, but we have the thing we, you need. And they gave to him Jesus Christ. 
And immediately he was made whole, raised up. I imagine that Peter, uh, when, when they saw the lame man, and this scene is unfolding for he and John, he's hearkening back to Mark chapter 2, when they watched four friends bring a lame man, rip off the roof, and drop him before Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to this lame man, your sins are forgiven. And then a rumbling happens in the crowd. Who is this that can forgive sins? And Jesus says, so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. Jesus is not only able to forgive our sins, but He will, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, He will make us whole. In Cuba, we saw the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. There is no American dream there. There is no upward mobility. There's no uh, course through college to improve myself. In fact, the truth of the matter is the younger generations are fleeing Cuba in droves. The country continues to get percentage-wise older and older, and eventually the society like China will collapse because there's not enough young people to care for the old. So when they come to Christ, it's not lost on them that they've just gotten everything. Everything. We ate meat at every meal. They do not. They didn't even sit with us. They served us. We are so accustomed to our Western lifestyle that I fear we don't see quite clearly enough that we have everything in Jesus. American Christianity is convoluted by many things. One of the lessons I think we bring back is to see our lives, to see the church, to see the world that we live in more clearly, to recognize that much of it is just a facade. It's just a rabbit pulled out of a hat. It's, it's just an illusion. What you have will not last, friend. You're eventually going to release your grasp upon it. And all that you'll be left with is Jesus or nothing. The gospel's power is operative only in unfettered faith. I think that we offer Jesus sometimes with a bit of a, a, bit of a reservation as though we're not quite confident he'll come through. This is not what Peter and John did. They were resolute. What you need is Jesus. And they delivered Jesus. Not Jesus plus, they delivered Jesus. I think the American church is so preoccupied uh, with, with all of our, uh, our prosperity and all of our opportunity that we've lost sight of the purity of relying on Jesus alone. And we're left to complain about the color of the carpet or the temperature in the room. How hot was it in the church in Cuba? So hot. It was hot. I could not find a thermostat. Anyone? No thermostat. And yet we never heard grumbling or complaining. We didn't hear asks. They were just full of joy and grateful that God had rescued them from an eternity separated from Him. And they can endure in a land of difficulty because they know God loves them. According to Cornelius, Thomas Aquinas once called upon Pope Innocent II when he was counting out a large sum of money. You see, Thomas, said the Pope, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. True, Holy Father, Aquinas replied, neither can she now say, rise and walk. We become so adept at accomplishing 
that we've glossed over the power of the gospel. We have beautiful sanctuaries. We don't have air conditioning, but fortunately we don't need it this morning. But we have every other convenience. And like the commercialized world around us, the church has been sucked into providing what people want. So that it becomes just another place for you to choose the services that you desire. We've lost sight of the reason why we exist, to take the gospel to the nations, for disciples to make disciples, for the church to plant churches. On, on the day that we did evangelism, uh, we worked our way through neighborhoods, slums, by any measure in America. And, and my team uh, had, the, had the privilege of going to a number of homes. We visited a, a, a church plant. And in one home in particular, uh, we were in the home of, of a lady named Maida. And uh, let's see, Grace and Faith uh, and tr- uh, who else was in my group? That, and, and Taylor uh, was in my group. And Maida's parents were believers, but they were aged. She, Maida was probably uh, in her 60s somewhere. Maida wasn't a believer, but her parents were. And Maida's mom was sitting right beside me in a wheelchair, and she had either Alzheimer's or dementia. It was as though she wasn't there. She had her head down most of the time that we were there. And, and I was at a point just encouraging Maida that, that there's coming a day when, when your mom is going to be made whole. That Jesus is going to restore her because of her faith in Christ. He'll wipe away all of her tears. There'll be no more sorrow. And in that moment, her, her mother raised her head. And she was with us. And she was smiling. And, and she was saying, Amen. And it had an impact on Maida. Maida trusted Christ. What we have to offer, church, is Jesus. In this story, we, we see when Jesus is the only promise we have to offer, then the plight of a person can change, and other people will notice. The man was healed, strength to his feet and ankles, and it wasn't enough for him to stand up. He wanted to walk, and it wasn't enough to walk. He wanted to leap. When was the last time for the joy of the Lord and what he's done in your heart, you wanted to leap? And he goes skipping off into the temple. And it's, it, it's impossible for for others not to notice. This is the guy who's been begging for years for, for a pittance. And all of a sudden he's made whole and, and the response of the people is to be filled with wonder and amazement. Now, lest you think, it, it's not a question of the form of government. Rest assured, uh, in a, with a younger generation uh, that's flirting with uh, the possibilities of socialism or even communism, uh, our students uh, came back realizing that where we live is much better, that a Republican form of government, that capitalism is much better. But, but the question isn't a question of, of whether it's communism or a free republic or socialism versus capitalism. That, that's not the question. In, in truth, in Cuba, there is no revolution. Everywhere we went, we still saw pictures of Fidel Castro and, and, and emblazoned on banners was revolution. And I had the opportunity to talk to Pastor Alexis, and I, and I just asked him, what is, what is the revolution to the Cuban people? And it's this, this dream, this deferred hope that at some point, good is going to come. And, and, and I asked him, is, that, is it just a control mechanism at this point to keep the people in place? And he said, yes. There is no revolution. Nothing is going to change the plight of the Cuban Christians, so they embrace Jesus, and they're busy about the work of the Great Commission. In the U.S., things are much different. 
But Jesus is changing people's lives in Cuba, and people notice. Uh, one day we did a VBS. It was our last day there. We did a, a VBS in the morning, and uh, we went through uh, the the little community and gathered up probably 50 kids. And as we were gathering them in Cuba, there's a person designated by the government called the boss, Jefe. And the Jefe is the eyes and the ears of the government. They know everything that's going on in the community. And they pass it back. And this is how they control their society. But, but Jefe, uh, the boss, she saw uh, that good was happening. And, and for the first time, this has not happened for the Cuban church. Uh, for the first time, they opened the, the government building, which is just this open-air pavilion. It's surrounded by a gate. And she said we could use that. And so we were able to do our VBS in a covered pavilion. And after it was over, in the interest of seeing that continue, we bought her out of sodas at her concessions uh, just to kind of foster goodwill. It, it's impossible when Jesus is doing something for the world to not take note. And this should be the same for you and I. We should realize that the American dream is just a pipe dream. It's just a temporary distraction from the weightier matters of God's kingdom. It doesn't mean we should regret being born where we're born. It's that we should see it clearly that we've been given much. And to whom much is given, much is required. And the much that's required is an investment in the world around us to see them come to Christ. I've had the privilege of being in many places in the world, sometimes for God's purposes and other times for my own personal pleasure. I have never been in a communist country like Cuba, where the necessity and the worth of the gospel was so stunningly visible. Oh, how I wish every one of you could have been with us. We can tell you that the kingdom of our God and our King advances with unstoppable force. There are no boundaries for God's kingdom. He is not kept out uh, by laws. As we return, we return knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is changing people's lives in Cuba. And equally important, that wherever this light shines in a dark world, people can't help but see it. As we return, we return with a soberness about the many things that challenge our faith. So many things that cloud the conviction that we were meant to take Christ to the nations. I believe God has sown that in these young people's hearts, that Jesus alone is what we have to offer, that Jesus plus anything of our assets and uh, our affluence is nothing, but Jesus plus nothing is everything. There's so much for the American church, for our church, to learn from the story in Acts 3. There's much for us to learn from the Christians in the church in Cuba and in the hardest, hardest parts of the world. What we need in the American church is repentance. Church, we need repentance. We take so many things for granted, as though it's our birthright to live so far above the rest of God's created world. We don't even think about it. We need to repent and we need to return to our first love, Jesus Christ who says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven.